So I, I know you've got a lot going on. But remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening, because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better, because it can. Bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7. Hello, everyone. What is up? Welcome back to another episode of Killer Instinct. Happy Wednesday, everyone. I hope y'all are having a great day. As you guys can tell by the title of today's case, we have a truly terrifyingly bizarre one today. Today we are talking about a man named Daniel LaPlante and the events that took place that led him to currently be in prison serving a triple homicide sentence. Without giving away any more details, let's just jump right on into it. So this is Daniel LaPlante. Daniel was born on May 15th, 1970 and lived with his mother and stepfather. The three of them lived in Townsend, Massachusetts, where Daniel had grown up his entire life. And as far as Daniel's childhood goes, it definitely wasn't the easiest. Daniel was said to have been abused sexually, mentally, and psychologically by multiple adults during his childhood. Along with that, Daniel also really struggled in school. He did suffer from dyslexia and was bullied by other kids who would call him creepy or weird. He was just the odd guy in school. A lot of schools had them, and that was Daniel. Daniel was just the odd kid in school. Daniel spent a lot of time during his school years in the school counselor's office where he was often sent to because of his inappropriate behavior. He would often lash out in class, make inappropriate remarks or gestures, and because of that, it did end him in the school counselor's office a lot of times. However, it was also said that Daniel was even abused by his school counselor at some points, so he clearly just didn't have the best childhood. And as a result of his childhood, by the age of 15, Daniel took up a new hobby. And this new hobby was breaking and entering into strangers' homes. He would go into strangers' homes and he would rob them. But the thing about Daniel is he wasn't going into these homes with the idea of, I want to steal something. He was going in there and taking things along the way, but for him, it was more of a mind game. When Daniel would go into these homes, he would often rearrange furniture, rearrange decorations on purpose to let whoever's home it was know that someone else was there, someone else was watching, and it really just psychologically messed with people. A lot of times when people are breaking and entering, they want to do so as seamlessly as possible. They want to get in, get the valuables, get what they want, and get out, and not make it look like someone was there. But for Daniel, it was the opposite. He wanted you to know that he was there. And breaking and entering into homes is actually the way that Daniel landed across his first victim. Now, Daniel's first victim was actually an entire family, and they were the Andrews family. And this family consisted of Brian, the father, as well as Annie, who was 15 years old, and Jessica, who was eight years old. But Daniel took a special interest in to Annie in particular. 
They were around the same age and Daniel developed a crush on Annie. And in one of the homes that he broke into, he actually found the home phone number for the Andrews family. Now it's unknown as to how Daniel figured out exactly who this phone number belonged to, exactly what Annie looked like. He could have been watching them, but it is unclear. However, Daniel, once he received this phone number, called the Andrews house multiple times. And when he did this, he would always ask to speak with Annie. Now, once he was finally able to get on the phone with Annie, he told Annie that he actually knew Annie through a mutual friend. He had gotten the phone number from a mutual friend and Daniel described himself as a tall, athletic, blonde-haired guy. However, as you could see by the pictures, if you're watching this on YouTube, you can tell that that is not the case. However, after talking to Annie multiple times on the phone, Daniel was able to convince Annie to go on a date with him, or at least the person that she thought that she was talking to. So Daniel and Annie set a date, and when Daniel went to pick Annie up from her house, she opened the door and realized that this was not the person that she thought she was talking to. She had gotten completely catfished. However, she decided to give it a chance. She wasn't happy about it. She wasn't excited to go once she saw Daniel, who was not the tall, athletic, blonde-haired guy. He was the shorter, scrawnier, dark-haired kind of guy who didn't take care of himself. He had terrible hygiene, which it's actually been reported that he was sent to the counselor's office multiple times for his terrible hygiene. So this was not the guy that Annie thought that she was going on a date with. But she decided to go anyways, and the two of them went out on their date together. However, Annie only stayed for about an hour before telling Daniel that she needed to go home. On this date, Daniel had asked Annie about her mother. Now, Annie's mother had actually passed away not too long before this from cancer. And it is said that on this date, Daniel was fixated on the fact that Annie's mother had passed away. Once he found this fact out, he was completely enamored by it. He was obsessed about it, and it's all he could talk about. He did ask Annie questions about how she felt about it, her own emotions, how she was handling the whole situation, but then the questions started to get a little creepier, and he started to ask questions about Annie's mom, what the process of her death was like, how much she was suffering, just very inappropriate questions that you don't ask someone. And because of this, Annie understandably felt extremely uncomfortable, and that is why she cut the date short and ultimately rejected a second date from Daniel. But what Annie thought would be the end of Daniel was ultimately just the beginning. Like I said, Daniel had reached out again to Annie about a second date, which she rejected. And Daniel did not take this rejection well at all. As a result of this rejection, Daniel actually dug a tunnel underneath the Andrews family home, which then led him to a crawl space inside of their home, which ultimately led him to the walls of the Andrews family home. Daniel had lived inside of the walls of the Andrews home for two months. Let me repeat that. Daniel lived inside the walls of the Andrew family home for two months. 
And Daniel did not let his presence go unknown while he was there. During the duration of him living inside of the walls, he would play tape recordings of different noises, which led both of the girls to believe that their house was haunted, that their house was being haunted by their mother's spirit. And they would approach their dad, Brian, with this, which he ultimately just thought that the girls were just dealing with their mother's death in different ways because he didn't believe that the house was haunted, obviously. He also created peepholes inside of the walls. That way he would be able to spy on the girls. And it is even said that he would leave messages written in ketchup on the walls. That way it would appear that it was blood. Now, when I first read this, I was in shock, obviously, but also questioned how Daniel was able to live inside the walls of this house for two months without being caught and without having the basic necessities he would need to survive. Food, water, sleep, things like that. And my understanding from the research that I've done is that he would stay and live in the walls as long as he could. And then when he needed food, water, things like that, he would take the tunnels that he had created to crawl out and then go home, get food, get water, do whatever he needed to do, and then go back into the walls and haunt the family. Now, like I said, this torture for this family went on for two months. And the reason it ultimately stopped was because Daniel got caught. One night, Brian came home and he walked into Annie's room. And when he did that, he found Daniel standing in Annie's room wearing the dress of their deceased mother. He was wearing a blonde wig and had makeup smeared all over his face. And in his hand, he had a hatchet. Now, when Daniel saw Brian, he tried to attack and kill Brian. However, Jessica was home at the time. It's unclear if she walked into the house while this was happening or if she was just already home. But Jessica was able to escape and call 911, which ultimately led the police to arresting Daniel. Before we move on, I would just like to take a moment and have you acknowledge what I just said. Really let it sink in. Imagine if that happened to you. A stranger, a stalker really, is living in the walls of your house for two months, watching your every move. It's unimaginable. This is the stuff that they create horror movies about, and this is what the Andrews life was for two months. Okay, we're gonna take a short break, but we will be right back with more of the Killer Instinct podcast. Imagine an app designed to make you use it less. Seems a little counterproductive, right? Well, Apartments.com's Instant Alert feature works exactly that way. Instead of scanning rental listings a million times a day, simply set and forget your search to whatever you're looking for in a place and let Apartments.com do the rest. From pet-friendly apartments to balconies to in-unit ACs, Apartments.com's powerful search tools let you know when the perfect combination of features you're seeking is listed. So you don't have to power through rental descriptions one by one. With more rental listings than anywhere else, Apartments Apartments.com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you. Apartments.com, the place to find a place. All right, you guys, welcome back. After his arrest at the Andrews home, Daniel was placed into a juvenile detention facility. However, he was released a couple months later in October 1987 when he was 17 years old. Now, after his release from juvie, it did not take Daniel long to get back into the swing of things of breaking into people's homes again. In November 1987, just a month after his release from juvie, he did break into a home and steal two handguns from 
this home. And then just a couple weeks after that, on December 1st, 1987, Daniel broke into a home that belonged to the Gustafson family. Now, the Gustafson's home was also located in Townsend, Massachusetts, and this family consisted of Andrew Gustafson and his wife, Priscilla, who was 33 years old at the time and was also pregnant with their third child. Andrew and Priscilla already had two other children. They had Abigail, who was seven years old at the time, as well as William, who was only five years old at the time. Now, Andrew was a real estate agent, and on December 1st, 1987, he was out at work, and he had gotten a phone call that he had just made a deal. He had just sold a house, and he called Priscilla because he wanted to celebrate. He called her several times. However, she didn't answer and Andrew thought this was a little weird and because she was pregnant and she was pretty late on in her pregnancy Andrew decided to go home and make sure that everything was okay when Andrew arrived home he noticed that Priscilla's car was in the driveway and when he walked in his life changed forever He walked in and saw Priscilla face down on their bed with their pillows covered in blood. She had been raped as well as shot multiple times in the face at point blank range. Not only that, both Abigail and William were also found drowned in two separate bathtubs in the house leaving every member of their family besides Andrew to be dead. Andrew immediately contacted authorities, and there was actually a witness who came forward who claimed to have seen someone who resembled Daniel's appearance at the home, which is when the authorities knew that that's who they were looking for. So they sent out a massive manhunt for Daniel, and two days later, on December 3rd, they discovered him hiding in a dumpster. When authorities took Daniel in for questioning, they were able to discover a hair found on Daniel's sock, and after the DNA testing had been completed, it was confirmed that the hair found on Daniel's sock belonged to seven-year-old Abigail, which was ultimately the evidence that connected Daniel to these murders. Now, when it comes to motive, this was a big question because Daniel did not know this family. This is not someone that Daniel knew. This was a complete crime of opportunity. Daniel had nothing against these people. He had no motive. The only reason that Daniel murdered this family is because now he had the means to do so. Prior to the triple homicide, Daniel did not have any access to guns. He had no guns whatsoever. However, after breaking into that home and stealing those two guns, he now had what he needed in order to carry out those murders. Authorities believe that Daniel initially shot Priscilla in order to kind of get her out of the way, and then he proceeded to drown the kids individually. But in between the two days that Daniel was hiding out while the police were looking for him, he didn't just sit back and hide. He actually attempted to kidnap another woman, and he did. He got into her car and kidnapped her while she was in it. However, she did manage to escape, luckily. When Daniel was arrested, he was arrested and charged with three life sentences. And during the beginning of his sentence, Daniel made it very clear that he felt absolutely no remorse for what he had done. If anything, he was mad at the courts and he was mad at the prison system. He attempted to actually sue the courts and the prison system for violating his religious rights. Daniel claimed that he was a Satanist and that the prison didn't offer him the right materials that he needed in order to carry out his rituals. So Daniel spent a long, long time showing absolutely no remorse. And then fast forward to actually 2017, March of 2017, there was actually a resentencing because Daniel is trying to get his sentence lessened. 
This is at the Middlesex Superior Court in Massachusetts, where Daniel asked for a reduction of his sentence. Again, he's receiving three life sentences, and the argument here is actually one that we discussed last week with the Maddie Clifton case. Maddie was murdered by a 14-year-old. He was a minor, and he was sentenced to life in prison. And the question came up of, is a sentence of life in prison too harsh of a punishment for minors. That's been the entire argument and the entire debate that we have seen been a pattern in the cases that we've covered. And we talked about it last week in Maddie's case, the Supreme Court actually came out with a law that stated that minors should not be given a sentence of life in prison because they were a minor when they committed the act and that they should be allowed to re-enter society at some point. So this is exactly what Daniel's lawyer argued. A direct quote from him is, quote, The primary question is, is 45 years too much to serve for a juvenile homicidal defendant before you're pushing up against the functional equivalent of life without parole bar? End quote. And in this 2017 hearing, it was actually the first time that Daniel said he had any remorse. A direct quote from him is, I do not have the words to fully express my profound sorrow, but I am truly sorry for the harm I have caused. From the very essence of who I am, from the depth of my soul, I am so sorry. Words cannot fully capture what I have done. I murdered three innocent people. Because of me, a five-year-old boy will never turn six. There's a seven-year-old girl that will never turn eight. Because of me, A woman will never be able to give birth to her third child. I robbed an unborn child of his first breath. A husband will never be able again to hear from his family, I love you. End quote. Now, despite his attempt for trying to be remorseful, Daniel was given another psychological evaluation in 2017. And this evaluation concluded that Daniel, quote, was a man with no evidence of emotion and no evidence of feelings, end quote. Daniel actually tried to request parole again in 2019, literally just less than two years ago. And if that was approved, Daniel actually would have been eligible for parole this year year. However, luckily, that request was also denied. Andrew Gustafson actually passed away in 2014, and on his deathbed, he said, quote, don't ever let him out. He should rot in prison, end quote. Daniel is currently 51 years old and still serving his time in prison, and I highly doubt that this will be the last time he will try to request early parole again. However, this is one of those cases where I wholeheartedly believe that Daniel should stay in prison. I do not think he should be let back into society. Sometimes I sit here and I say, it's questionable, or maybe, or what do you think? This one, I have no if ands, or buts about it. I think he should stay in prison for the rest of his life. He clearly didn't seem to be very remorseful. He tried to sue the courts and the prison system. And not only did he murder an entire family, brutally murder an entire family, mind you, raped and shot a pregnant woman as well as drowned two innocent children. Along with that, he hid in the walls of a family's home for two months and also kidnapped another woman. This man should not be released. He should not be released. So let me know what you guys think about this one. 
All right, you guys, that is going to be it for me today. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Killer Instinct. If you are new here, hi, my name is Savannah. I'm your host of Killer Instinct. Make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. That way you never miss an episode. We post weekly here every single Wednesday and you are not going to want to miss it. Make sure you go ahead and follow our Instagram at just Killer Instinct Podcast. We post updates there as well. You can also send in all your questions, comments, theories, and case suggestions to the Killer Instinct email, which is just killerinstinctpodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's just killerinstinctpodcast at gmail.com. I will see you guys next week for a brand new episode. And until then, stay safe, guys. So I, I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening, because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better, because it can. Bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7. So I, I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening, because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better, because it can. Bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7.